Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 3. We're teaching on forgiveness, and we're going to continue there. We're not done yet, so let's review a little bit. We need to be good at forgiveness. We've discovered that we're probably not as good at forgiveness as we thought we were. Uh, I've probably had more response on this series than anything I've taught in a while, and most of it's, Pastor, you're stepping on my toes, you're kicking me in the gut, you're punching me in the teeth. All those real encouraging messages you want to hear as a pastor. And all we're doing is saying what the Lord has always said, which is forgive, just forgive. And we're realizing we probably don't do it like we should. We don't do it enough. And maybe we do it to some level. And then our heart is revealing to us in this matter that even though maybe I say I've forgiven, I'm still watching to see, did I have to forgive? Maybe we're expecting our forgiveness to be dependent upon their repentance. And we're trying to clarify and clean up some of this. We forgive and we drop the charges no matter what. We forgive and drop the charges, even if they do it to us 70 times seven. Remember that horrible verse? <laughs> I probably have not denigrated the scripture so much in this series because we keep coming into these verses that require us all to grow up. That horrible verse where Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive? I'm sure he thought he was gonna be real pious and spiritual. <clears throat> seven times seven in a day? And the Lord says, no, no. Oh, I'm sure Peter thought, yeah, it's probably too much. And the Lord says, 70 times seven. And then that's where the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. We forgive even if the person doesn't fix it. We forgive. Uh, this is even like on the job. You, sometimes you, the Lord puts you on a job next to the worst person in your whole life. And you've never met them to the day you get promoted to that position on the factory and you got to deal with that guy every day of your life. And the Lord says, it's working something in you. And I'm not going to fix him. I'm going to fix you. And this is why we have that verse 70 times seven, because that guy can cuss and offend you 490 times before the shift changes. And you're going to have to practice forgiveness. Forgiveness proves where we're at spiritually. It proves where we're at in our maturation. And we've said a lot of things in the last couple of weeks. One of them is freely we've received freely we should give. We receive forgiveness, and you and I both know just because the Lord forgave us doesn't mean we fixed it. Or even if we tried to, we didn't perfect it yet. So no hands, no show and tell, but how many of you have had to be forgiven of the same thing more than, say, a thousand and two times? And the Lord's like, I still forgive you. I was hoping you were going to fix it like the first time you said, I'm sorry, but here we are still 32 years later, and I still love you, and I still forgive you. This, we're realizing this is a powerful thing that we've got to get good at. One of the reasons we're teaching on it is if we're not good at forgiving our spouse who we're in covenant with, and if we're not good at forgiving members of the body of Christ who we serve in church together with, how easily or how difficult will it be to forgive the world when they really start turning on us more and more? And they already are. We're already being marginalized as Christians, maybe not in the South yet, maybe not in a small religious town like we have yet, but it's coming we're already seeing the signs of the times. It's all around us. It's inevitable. It can't be stopped. Uh, I had lunch some, this week with somebody. He was asking, so is there any hope? I said, no, there is no hope. And they're like, why? And I said, well, because Jesus said these things must come. These things must be. Now, I said, the hope is in Christ. The hope is in salvation. The hope is in an eternity with God. But this world is coming to an end. Wars and rumors of wars are promised. We'll be delivered up for persecution. Our own family will abandon us and betray us. These are the teachings of Jesus. These aren't the teachings of Christian television, but these are the teachings of Jesus. And we're going to have to be good at forgiving because the world's going to want to do things to us and criticize us and ridicule us and mock us. And if we can't forgive our children for an ouchy word, if we can't forgive a brother in Christ for a, 
something they overlooked or maybe didn't mean in passing, if we can't forgive the factory worker who was just being a pagan and they're not even hostile towards you, they're just hostile in general, how are we going to forgive when our families are targeted, our businesses are targeted? So hopefully that's still a few years off, but between now and then we should get ready and get better at forgiveness. We said that forgiveness means to drop the charges. We just let the guilty go free. And forgiveness does not permit us to, as we often say, I'm going to go teach them a lesson they'll never forget. One of the things we've really been covering is that we as 21st century, probably American Christians, and maybe this is the, the Christian experience around the world, I don't know, haven't lived anywhere else but the U.S. of A. We don't want to just forgive, we want to get even. Sometimes we want to get even, then we'll forgive. And we made mention, and I'm going to keep repeating it, even the law does not permit, the law of Moses, is what I mean by the law. The law of Moses does not permit us to get vengeance the way our hearts often want to get vengeance. We often want compounded interest, our pound of flesh. The law only permits eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It says the, 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 the punishment must be equal to the crime, to the betrayal. We don't believe in that as Americans. We base all of our entertainment, our best action movies are about vengeance, which is you hurt me and I'm going to burn the whole cartel to the ground. There's a famous series of movies right now called John Wick. It's an actioner. A lot of guys like it. It's really just about a dude in a three-piece suit with a really cool gun, and he goes and kills guys using jujitsu and guns. I watched the fourth movie on an airplane. I watch a lot of movies on the airplane. They're typically edited, and you can skip through them. So I watched the fourth one, and I just skipped through it just to watch the fight scenes, and by then I was so exhausted I just skipped through the last fight scene. So four movies later, he's killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of guys. Why? They killed his dog in the first movie. It's a God's honest truth. That is the plot of the movie. Four movies later, a couple billion dollars in box office. He just keeps killing people with guns and knives and jujitsu because they killed his dog in the first episode. Home invasion, they killed the dog. He's like, all right, that won't do. It's like a running joke, I guess. You know, yeah, it's all about a dog. A dog, I get it, man. It's about a dog. We as Americans can relate, which is why we keep seeing these movies and they're making like nine more because I get it. You hurt my dog. I, I just want to kill everybody that ever knew you. <laughs> and that's how we sometimes as Christians want to forgive. I'll forgive you after I teach you a lesson. But the forgiveness in the scripture does not give us any permission to do any educating. You're like, uh, I agree to disagree. Now, the scriptures don't say forgive after you've educated them as to why they're wrong. Forgive after you've given them a piece of that massive mind of yours. Forgive after you've instructed, corrected them and made sure they will never, ever possibly be able to hurt you again. Jesus said 70 times seven, no instruction necessary on your part. Just shut up and forgive them. And the implication is, and you're going to still be around them, so they'll have opportunity to sin against you 489 more times that day. This is a high calling, which is exactly why the disciples said in Luke's gospel at this moment, Lord, increase our faith. To which the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you would speak to this sycamine tree. Which means if you have a problem with this, talk to yourself. Speak to that unforgiveness, that deep rootedness, and you can command it to be gone and to be cast in the sea and it would obey you. And so we've been looking at all this because we really, 
it's been, we're probably not as good at forgiving as we thought we were. We hold grudges, we hold jealousy, we hold envy. Uh, we also wanted to clarify and say, forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. But forgiveness does mean when you think about the violation in your heart, you no longer want to strangle. You no longer want to go to war. You no longer feel like you've been dubbed the educator of the person who violated you. We use the example of the Rolodex. We even showed a picture of a Rolodex where you go through the, the Rolodex of memories in your heart, maybe the Rolodex of violations of your life where you've been in unforgiveness. And when you come to that event, it sparks no emotion in you. That's how you can tell you've forgiven and dropped the charges. It doesn't mean you forget about the event. It just means you don't, you just, it's just an event. It's like you read about something in a history book. It's an event. I have no feelings about it because it doesn't touch my life. It once did touch your life, which is why you had to forgive. But now that you've forgiven, it no longer touches your life. And so it's just an event. Now, we say you don't have to forget because it may be you need to protect yourself from that situation. I, like I testified earlier, my wife was robbed at gunpoint in a church. Now, we forgive the guy, but we're not going to ever go to church in his neighborhood again because obviously it's not safe. And that church that allowed this to happen through their security laxness, they would be wise to forgive, but they're also not going to forget that it happened. They're going to up their security. We came back to our church. Again, this was 11 years ago because Lydia was just 11 months old. We came back to our church and we stepped up our security because these things apparently do happen. You would think the church being a sanctuary would be a safe place from gun crime. But it's not, apparently, so we have to not forget and be dumb, but we just take our precautions. So forgiving doesn't mean you forget. You can have all the memories you want, but you got to make sure they don't provoke you to jealousy, rage, vengeance, John Wick ideations. You want to make sure that you can forgive and say, all right, I love you and I forgive you. We're probably not going to be friends because it's not safe, but I don't want any harm to come to you. I'm praying that you would truly serve Jesus. And maybe years later, we can catch up again and have a good friendship. Maybe. So this is kind of what we've been reviewing. And last week we talked about forgiving yourself. We said going through that Rolodex of people in your heart, you've got to make sure you've truly dropped the charges against every person. And for every one of those people, you can truly say in your heart, I don't want to go teach them a lesson. I don't want to go educate them. I'm just, I just want to be free. I want to forgive them and be free of that. And then I had one person come to me and say, well, what if that one person in my Rolodex that I can't forgive is me? So we taught a big lesson on self-forgiveness and how do you do that? And we gave a couple points on that and it seems to have really helped people. And if you weren't here and you want to know real quick, all those charges you have against yourself, write them all down. Real simple overview. Write all those charges that you keep accusing yourself of and they're probably all true. You have a good memory. Write them down. Just list them out like a prosecuting attorney would who's, you're facing these charges. These are the charges I've been facing since October of 87. Read them out concerning the charge of this in the first degree. Guilty. Just plead guilty. Concerning this charge in the third degree. I'm guilty. And just confess guilt to all of them and confess them to the Lord and then invoke his promise of forgiveness and restoration. Write down, paid in full, confess, time served. Keep it on your mirror if you have to every time your brain wants to go stupid on you. Say, so, no, we've already dealt with this. I can't face double jeopardy. They won't even let it happen in this corrupt government. So I can't face double jeopardy in God's government. So then what do you do? Whatever mess you made, you seek God for a plan of attack 
to fix it or clean it up, whatever way that looks like, that's going to be on a case-by-case situation. Even our, in our judicial system, it'll be community service. You're picking up trash. You're serving at the homeless mission. You're working at the rehab facility, whatever. There's some kind of assignment given to you. Catholics call that penance. We call it just picking up your mess. And move on and maybe share your testimony later. That's how you can beat the unforgiveness of self. You can't fix the past, but you better be doing something with prayer and the word of God today to make, in a sense, restitution or to clean it up. That way you don't ever go back there. That brings us to what I'm going to call today forgiveness. Just how do I treat people in general? Because I'm finding we don't know how to treat people. And if, if forgiving is a big order... Oh, pastor, this is wearing me out. Then we can't even like move past unforgiveness to have fellowship with people. If you haven't noticed, everybody in your life's going to violate you. And violations go from the small little sharp remark that kids make towards each other, even though they're brothers and sisters, all the way up to the big violations that send people to prison, be they murder, death, robbery, rape, etc. Everybody is going to violate you and you are going to violate everybody you know. Because of the sin nature. It's part of it. So how do we treat people? And we got to make sure we don't have a chip on our shoulder. Are you there in Mark 3? Let's talk about somebody really funny first. Two guys really quick. Mark 3. Beautiful, beautiful story about how God calls us. And then right in the midst of it, there's an insult. I'm going to show you this insult and then relate it to us as we talk about how we're called to just treat people in general. John, uh, sorry, Mark 3, verse 13. And Jesus goeth up into a mountain and called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Now, he's already been doing a little bit of ministry, but this is when he appoints the 12. And he ordained 12. Now, we know those are the 12 apostles of the Lamb, minus Judas. He betrays the Lord. Matthias replaces him in Acts chapter 1 with the casting of lots. Only Matthias and Justice were the two that were qualified to be considered to be Judas's replacement, according to the psalm that says, let his days be few and another take his office. But here's the 12. At the very beginning of the Lord's ministry, he ordained 12 that they should be with him. Wonderful side teaching there that our number one calling is to be with Jesus. Our number one calling is to be with Jesus. And if you can't spend time with Jesus, he can't use you hardly anywhere else. And that he might send them forth to preach. Don't get the cart before the horse. If you don't spend time with Jesus, you got nothing to preach to anybody else. Your number one calling is to be with Jesus. If you're a preacher, if all your time in the Bible is spent sermon prep, you don't have a walk with God. We were taught years ago in our school of philosophy in the ministry, you spend all your life in the word and preach out of the overflow. I, very, I honestly do very little sermon prep anymore. I just spend time in the word and preach out of the overflow. It's just how it works for me. I got friends that'll spend all week on one sermon. That's great. Did you spend any other time with God? Or was your time with God also sermon prep? All right, that aside. And that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So called to be with God, called to preach for God, and we have an ordination or we're anointed to heal the sick. Mark 16 tells us that. And to cast out devils, Mark 16 tells us that. And Peter, or Simon, he's surnamed Peter, which means little pebble, which by the way is an insult. When you boast yourself this monstrous thing, we would read it this way. And Simon, he nicknamed little pebble. Now, Pause for that on a sec, for a second. P- 
Peter's this big, brash fisherman. We'd call that working class blue collar. We know from the gospels, Peter's got a big mouth and he boasts a big game and the Lord calls him little pebble. That's his nickname. That's what we know him as. If we said St. Simon, you'd say, Simon says, you don't know who we're talking about. So when we say St. Peter, oh, but the Lord hears little pebble. How would you like to be called to the Lord's ministry? And when he calls you, he gives you an insulting nickname. You're quiet. But you thought we were nicer than Jesus? He gave him a nickname that humbled him. That also exposed his pride. Simon the little pebble. He says later in Matthew 16, upon this rock, it's a different word, Petros, than Petra or vice versa. But I want you to see, these guys are brand new called to the ministry and he gives him this little nickname that's kind of a little jab. Hey there, little pebble. It gets worse. Next verse. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. We'd call them blowhard. We'd call them firecracker. He's mocking the fact that they are so bombastic and acoustic and verbally aggressive that he nicknames them the sons of thunder. This is not a compliment. He's just called them to be in his ministry and he gives them a nickname that assaults their reputation. All right, you sons of thunder. All right, you guys that just want to burn everything to the ground. Now this ought to give us hope because some of us think we're hot shots. We've got a big mouth and the Lord says, you're just a little pebble. And others of us, we have the reputation. Don't ever cross them. Some of you know people like that. Good God, I don't ever want to get in trouble with them because they'll burn you to the ground. And the Lord calls them sons of thunder. Now the encouraging thing is, when we think of John the Revelator, he's called the apostle of love. He's called by theologians the apostle of love. The revelation is always about returning to your first love. First John is about love, love, love. But when the Lord meets him, this is a guy that just wants to burn everything to the ground if you just look at him sideways. And the kid's a teenager. So whoever Zebedee is, he's a jerk because he's raised two jerk sons. And if your daddy was a jerk and your mama was a jerk, you're probably a jerk too. The good news is you can become an apostle of love. Quit being so caustic, you know, you know, running your mouth, running people down. So there's some fun examples of this. Look at, um, I don't know, look at uh, Mark chapter 9, because we're going to talk about how to treat people. Mark chapter 9. I, I love it. They're called sons of thunder before we have any understanding of what their reputation is. We think sons of thunder. Yes, they are thunderous in their faith. No, they hate people everywhere they go. They're exclusive. They're hoity-toity. They're arrogant. It's their way or the highway. And so they get this ridiculing, ridiculous nickname, you little sons of thunder. Not a compliment. Now, maybe if you're playing roller derby and you're kind of like violent, but this is not a compliment, just like the little pebble is not. Mark 9, verse 38 and John answered Jesus saying, Master, we saw somebody casting out devils in your name and he doesn't follow us. So we forbade him because he doesn't follow us. We told a guy to stop obeying Jesus because he wasn't part of our church. We told him he wasn't good for anything. Stop it. Stop obeying Jesus in the name of Jesus because you're not part of our Jesus club. And Jesus said, forbid him not. You sons of thunder, what is your problem? 
But I think the best example that we're probably the most familiar with is in Luke's gospel. Go to Luke chapter 9. Because this comes back to forgiveness. What's, what's John got against somebody obeying Jesus and helping spread the work? What's wrong with James and John? They're always trying to vie for the chief seats. And he said, you sons of thunder. James and John and their mama trying to vie for who's going to sit at your right hand and at your left. Who's going to replace the father? That's a boisterous, me first, me too, me, 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 me attitude. And it's not an attitude of forgiveness or Christian servitude. Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 51. Let's read. And it came to pass, Luke 9, 51, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, so that is before his caravan, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So the disciples didn't just sit on the hillside and watch him preach all day. They were part of his ministerial team. They would go before him and prepare a place, find some room at a hotel or an inn or somebody who would host him. These guys go into the Samaritan village, and you have to understand the Samaritans and the Jews were hostile towards each other. Samaria is to the north, so any Jew passing through their territory going to Jerusalem for a festival or a pilgrimage, they would reject and mistreat because we don't get along. It's a racial hostility. Black, South, black, white, Southern race relations are nothing new. We should stop acting like they're the greatest sin ever. They're just one sin among many. Here you have the same issue. Here it's so hostile, the Samaritans mistreat Jesus because he's a full-blooded Jew and not a half-breed, which is what a Samaritan is. A, half, a Samaritan is a little bit of a Syrian slave and a little bit of Jewish mixed together for about 400 years now. So there's a hostility. Verse 53 says, They did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They didn't receive him because they knew he was on a pilgrimage and they had a tradition of mistreating any Jew passing through their borders to go to Jerusalem. They also competed on what the capital city was and what the capital mountain was, at Mount Zion or Mount uh, Gerizim. Anyway, there's a racial issue here. So they're being mistreated racially. So hear that, please, because you live in the South. Jesus is being mistreated racially. This doesn't ever get taught in churches that want to go march for something. He's being mistreated racially. Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, what's their nickname? Sons of thunder, not a compliment, kind of mocking their sour attitude, their chip on their shoulder, a little firecracker, a little Irish, you know. I don't know, what, what terms do we have for hot, hothead? There's little Jimmy Hothead and little Johnny Hothead. That would be about the equivalent I can think of. Jimmy and Johnny, James and John. When they heard this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? They think it's a great idea. <clears throat> Since when did they have that kind of faith? I mean, they're so mad. I think they're like, our faith can do it. We can spark this fire. We can burn this thing. So when I talk about I've burned lots of houses down in my mind, I feel like a son of thunder. They weren't, I, was, I just want to burn one person's house down when I daydream about them doing something stupid in the neighborhood, running too, driving too fast or their dogs attacking. These guys wanted to burn the whole village. Should we call down fire? Like all of a sudden they think they've got the faith to be like Elijah. All over racial mistreatment. I never hear that taught in churches who want to go march for something. Jesus turned to them and rebuked them 
and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Quoting scripture, invoking a biblical story, invoking something that took faith, that was miraculous, that was the will of God, totally misusing it. And the Lord says, you're not, you, we're not even of the same spirit, you little hotheads. That is a demonstration of no forgiveness. They mistreated you. The Lord had been telling them for years, you're going to be mistreated. Rejoice when they mistreat you. Just march on through. The Lord's not moved by this. He doesn't care. He's already ministered at Samaria. He has a love for them. They're one of the first people he's going to commission the apostles to go back to in Acts 1.8. Why do, we, why do we have such a chip on our stinking shoulder over these idols called, what's important to me? He said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. We, we might imply, where's the forgiveness? Don't you know I've come to forgive and you guys want to burn a whole village to the ground? These aren't pagans worshiping Baal. And even Baal's altar, or in the time of Elijah, he just called down fire on the altar. He didn't burn a whole village of people down. Once again, there's the escalation. They were worshiping demons. He burns up an altar. He doesn't burn the whole nation. He has the prophets executed, but not the people who are ignorant. The son of man has not come to destroy men's lives. No, that's our job, apparently. Whether it's on D-Facebook, social media, whether it's giving people the stink eye or just carrying that attitude like, who are you to cross me? I just dare you. So I use that term here. Some of you I call, I've kind of dubbed you, you have hatchet face. That's like sons of thunder or little pebble. I feel like Jesus. <laughs> hatchet face if you're visiting. That's the people that always come to church looking mean as a snake, just angry. They just come into the church. I mean, like their face splits the doors open. Just that angry. I'm like, what? Did you not know this is the day the Lord has made? We're in the house of God to worship him on the Sabbath. And you come in and even the door is like, okay, open up for them. I don't. We make these statements to help people see a mirror. If the Lord always called me little pebble, I'd wonder why. If the Lord always called me son of thunder, I'd wonder why. If I get referred to as hatchet face, maybe I should smile and add face value. So. Jesus was able to change this man, these sons of thunder, and make something great out of them. Now, you're in Luke's gospel. Let's go back to chapter 6. Let's read some passages out of what is basically the Sermon on the Mount recamped in Luke's gospel. And let's talk about how we're to treat people. We can see what forgiveness looks like, and this should help us. We should also teach these things to our children. It's really easy in this day and age to get so defensive for our kids. We want to go fight an eight-year-old because they were mean to our eight-year-old. And I think you live and you go to children's sporting events, you understand why fights break out on children. It's like every summer, big old fight broke out at the baseball game. The Mariners-Astros games? No, 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 Jimmy's T-ball game. A bunch of dads just fighting and swinging bats at each other. Seriously. I don't even really cheer at these games because I think, what is the point of even cheering? I'm not going to get in a fight with this guy. I felt bad. We had basketball yesterday, and they don't keep score at upward basketball because whatever. But our team devastated the other kid's team. <laughs> it was like 20 to 2 or something. I don't, it was a lot. It wasn't that much, but it was a lot. And we were cheering so loud. And then I felt bad for all the parents on the other side that were just so quiet because their little six-year-olds stink. <laughs> and I totally understand why people fight at their kids' games because they're not Christian in their heart. 
And then we're willing to go to jail over rec league soccer. <laughs> Won't even go to jail for Jesus, but we will for rec league soccer. Luke 6, we're worried about when people speak bad about us and we want to fight them. But let's just read some of what Jesus teaches. Because remember, he's our Savior. We should study his doctrine. Verse 26, Woe unto you when all men shall speak good of you. You want everybody to speak good of you? You're upset when they speak bad of you? Jesus said, prepare for them to speak evil of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. So if they run you down, rejoice, because it means you're not a false prophet. But I say unto you, which hear, because not everybody listens, love your enemies. That includes rec league soccer. Do good to them which hate you. That includes rec league t-ball. <laughs> Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. We won't be able to do these two verses with unforgiveness working in our veins. When unforgiveness is out of your system, you can easily love your enemies. You can easily do good to them. You can easily bless them. You can easily pray for them. And honestly, if you'd start praying for them, the other three would come as well. Anytime you feel and find unforgiveness and hostility and you're just rubbing your toes in your shoes and rubbing your fingers and you just want to get back and you just want to, can't wait to see them again so you can tell them where they're wrong and how you're right, how they have no right to be wrong. Yeah, so what, were you going to run the world like that? You already run your marriage that way. Why would you want to ruin everybody else's life around you? How about we just pray and just drop the charges and say, yeah, whatever, they were having a bad day. That's their turn. I get the other six days out of the week. So I guess they could have one bad day a week. Verse 29, unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. There ain't no way I'm letting nobody hit me. Well, that's evident. You little pebble hatchet-faced son of thunder. <laughs> and one that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asks of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do like uh, to you, do you also to them likewise. There's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love them that love them. He's saying we got to be better than sinners. If we're only good to people who are good to us, we're no better than sinners. And if we're going to be better than sinners, and we ought to be because we're born again children of God, then we ought to be able to be good to pagans, be good to hateful people. You should find that person in your life that God has placed there. They're divinely appointed, and that way they're an apostolic to your misery. They're in your life and they make you miserable. Find a way to be good to them. Maybe it's an employee that's hostile and belligerent. Determine in your heart, I'm going to win them to my friendship. I'm going to absorb their insults. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to hear about it being their birthday and give them a gift card. Why not try to win as many people as you can? You ought to have as many friends in this life as possible by being good to them through the love of Jesus Christ. Some of us, we not, we're like penguins with no iceberg left. We've cut off everybody because they just looked at us crosswise. Lonely little penguin out there floating on one little piece of ice, wondering why nobody likes you because you're unlikable. How about we find people that we would normally want to hate and start to see what we can do to win them? It helps to be in the world working so that you can win that pagan and win that pagan boss and find that if you go to whatever grocery store, there's always that one cash register lady. I guess we did away with cash register ladies. A lot of them. I think they're coming back. They're coming back because I don't think anybody likes a self-scanned AI caught me trying to shoplift something the other day. I really wasn't. I swiped it. Then I went back to make sure it swiped again and AI tagged me 
And then I saw the thing pop up. The AI was watching me from above. I didn't realize AI was watching me. And the lady, I said, it's not happy with me. She said, it does that sometimes. I thought hogwash. It just thought I stole something because it showed the video clip real quick. Find that mean lady. Find the meanest lady at the restaurant. Ask for her every time. If she spits in your food, you'll develop a strong immune system. Be like a mission trip. Find her and win her to Jesus. Find her and figure out why she's so mean. Just melt her heart. Be a little bit bigger than an eight-year-old girl. Amen. She was mean to me. Well, then you be mean right back because that's Christian love among white trash hicks. No, we're not that at all. When people are mean to us, the Lord Jesus teaches us to be good to them, to pray for them. They hurt us. We hear that they're hurting. We go help them. That ought to be an easy thing for us when we're devoid of ego and Americanism. If you love them which love you, what's the big deal? Even sinners love them that love them. Verse 33, and if you do good to them which do good to you, why are you any different? Sinners also do the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Jesus Christ is kind. Jesus Christ is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. That feels like a novel concept to today's believer. We take inventory, we take record, and we're just going to cut people out. Well, see if I ever talk to them again. Have you not been saved very long? What kind of redneck attitude is that? Do you even have any friends? If you're going to have friends, you got to be prepared for people to have bad days in your life. You got to be prepared for people to go through stuff and not talk to you and, and be short with you. We're all at some place different in life. Having friends makes for a richer life, but to have friends, you got to have some thick skin and give people the benefit of the doubt and not be willing to cut everybody off because they had a bad day and happened to cross your path when it happened. Use it as opportunity to grow and develop and mature. All right, how about Ephesians chapter 4? That's Jesus talking about pagans, how, how we treat them. How about we look at just trying to be good to each other? That's sometimes, sometimes the people you've cut out of your life aren't even in the world. They're in the church with you. I would ask this. So, some of you here, you don't fellowship with anybody in this church. You don't fellowship with anybody outside of your marriage or your immediate family. Why don't you have any friends? If you're a young lady, we got lots of young ladies. Don't you fellowship with them? If you're a young man, we got lots of young men. Don't you fellowship with them? Or have you just eliminated everybody because, or is it maybe because you know how ugly you can be and you don't want to manifest your true side, so you just cut yourself off, but really you tell yourself you're cutting them off. It's not acceptable. We're a body, and we ought to be able to put up with each other, which is what Ephesians 4 Verse 2 says, with all lowliness, that means humility, not redneck, white trash attitudes. I use the word white trash. I know it's offensive, but it best describes the hick attitude of our region. And if you live in this region and you're white, you have a little bit of it running through you. There's other terms I could use for other cultures, but I'm not the right color, so apparently I don't have the right privilege. 
So you just take the color, swap it out for whatever fits you, and apply accordingly. <laughs> the only person I ever had get mad at me for using the term white trash was a black person. I'm like, what? Wait, wait, I don't, I'm so confused. This culture sends me such mixed signals. I don't even know what to do. I kept using the term white trash. So don't be white trash. Don't be some hick willing to fight like the Hatfields and McCoys over something you don't even know what you're fighting over. Bunch of inbred weirdos. Got no friends but your own last name. You're a weirdo. If the only friend has your last name, what's wrong with you? With all humility and meekness, with long-suffering, putting up with one another in love, forbearing one another. Now, so where we were just at in Luke's gospel was all about how we treat pagans. Paul comes along and says, Lord, I don't know, that feels like a really tall request. Let's practice this with the body first. Isn't it something that Paul's epistles don't even teach us much how to relate to the outside? He's realizing we got to get good at this on the inside first putting up with one another, forbearing one another in love, forbear one another in love with lowliness and meekness and long suffering. That means we're not going to always get along with everybody we go to church with, but we need to. And we swallow our pride and we fall on the sword and we become the bigger person and we look for ways to help people. If, if you have to have everybody in your life just perfect so you can tolerate them, you're the intolerable one. We, we ought to be able to get around everybody in fellowship despite their quirks and their peculiarities. The Lord even said, I'm going to make you peculiar people. So by default, we're all a little weird. And we should like that because if everybody was like you, we'd be in a mess. So the Lord diversifies us with true diversity, not like college diversity, true diversity, different strengths, abilities, intellects, griftings, and graces. Jump over to chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 30, or 25. Therefore, again, he's still talking about how we treat each other. Put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Still talking about the body. And well, I do speak the truth. Okay, well, if you speak the truth the way you think you speak the truth, can I speak it that, that way back to you? Or is there hell to pay? Hatchet face. <laughs> I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Like Brother Hagin would say, you don't have much left. You've been dispensing that like the federal government. Got nothing left. Better print some more. Verse 26, be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. We're talking about the bigger construct of forgiveness. This is what it looks like. Neither give place to the devil. Anger can give place to the devil. So can unforgiveness. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. Now it's teaching us how to talk to each other. Don't let it be corrupt. Don't let it be sassy. Don't let it be snide. Don't let it be underhanded compliments. Don't let it always be criticism. Corrupt communication isn't just cussing and slander and gossip, it's anything that fails to minister encouragement and grace. And if you and I could be a son of consolation, like the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, that's his nickname, son of consolation, because his reputation was he's always encouraging people. When you're always encouraging people, everybody's gravitating towards you. Maybe you don't want that. Maybe you want to be left alone because you know if people are gravitating towards you, they're going to find out the real you. 
And that's exhausting to have to keep that guard up. Let what you say minister grace to the hearer and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31, here's what unforgiveness manifests as. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are the fruit of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will make you bitter. It'll make you full of wrath and vengeance. It'll make you angry. It'll cause you to be clamorous. Clamorous means whining and complaining and protesting. Evil speaking. If we can forgive, all this stuff will dry up. So maybe let's again work it in reverse. If we find that our life is full of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, where's the unforgiveness? If you want to have friends, you've got to be friendly. And maybe it's hard to be friendly when you can't forgive yourself. It's hard to be confident when you hate yourself. Maybe that's the issue. We don't hate you. We wish you'd not direct your hate towards us, but we love you, so we'll endure in hopes that maybe you would find some love too. Verse 32, this is really hard for modern white women in the upper Cumberland. Be ye kind. That's hard for the feminist movement. Be kind one to another. That includes wives towards husbands, husbands towards wives, friends towards friends, friends towards enemies, especially in the local church. Can we not? Isn't, I just feel like it's insulting that the Lord has to encourage us to be nice. The fact that this is a command. This is what I'm teaching my children at home. Can you not be nice? Hey, stop it. Be nice. Why is God having to talk to us like six-year-olds? Shows you how petty we can be. Can't even be nice. Can't even be nice to your kids. Can't even be nice towards your husband. Can't even be nice to your wife. Can't even be nice towards your brother or sister in Christ. Why do we have to have a commandment that says be nice? That, that should hurt, hurt. That should kick you. Go, Lord, how pathetic are we? How petty are we? Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving. That's kind of what brings it all home. That's our subject. When you forgive, it's easy to be tender-hearted. When you forgive, it's easy to be kind. When you forgive, you may want to be around somebody more. One of the concepts that's really hit me hard lately, we, we're dealing with a, an issue outside of the church. A lady who, bless her heart, She's probably in her mid to late 60s. She's having a rough go at life, and because of it, she's hostile. And she's hostile in weird ways. But the, the concept that hit me really hard was that I told my wife, I said, honey, I feel bad for this lady. And Amanda says, why? I said, she has one life, and this is how she's burning it. And if you and I would stop and realize we get one life, it's appointed that a man wants to die, whether we live 60 years, 80 years. If you want to go for 120, put your eyes and brain in a jar and you can live that long, I guess. I don't know. Can't do much. Just look around and blow bubbles. I don't want to live to be 120. I'm figuring 85, 90, I'm done. Go home, see Jesus. You get one life and you're going to live it angry? You get one life. We'll just say 85 years and you're going to live it 
unforgiving. You get one life, you're going to live it hostile. You can get one life, you're going to live it belligerent. You're going to get one life and live it without friends. You're going to get one life and live it hovering around your last name. And that weird tree, at least be the apple that somebody comes along and chucks. You're going to get one life and live it contrary to Scripture. Should not be us. Colossians chapter 3. Last little passage here unless we get to Matthew 18 and we'll see. Colossians 3. We're just talking about how to treat each other. And maybe hopefully with this teaching, you're seeing what unforgiveness will open up for you. How you can judge if you've really been in forgiveness because you're being kind and tenderhearted and you're putting away wrath and malice and bitterness and vain jangling and gossip and slander. This is showing us what it looks like. And honestly, this is just how we should treat people. We shouldn't be, like I said, this movie series, John Wick, where somebody shoots our dog and we're going to burn the syndicate down for seven movies in a billion and a half dollars wearing a good looking three piece suit with a really cool pistol. But that's how a lot of Christians in this region live. You violated me once. I am forever done with you. How is that the love of Christ? That sounds like an insecure, fearful person putting up another wall of defense mechanisms. Pastor Vaughn used to teach us years ago, if you trust the Holy Spirit, you can trust anybody. And then his wife, Miss Mary, said, if you've ever loved, you can love again. So why trust nobody and be unloving? What a way to waste the one life you have. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, that means you have to wear it, which means it's also a choice. This is an imperative, it understood you, it's a command. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Now, this is where you get into the do loop of uh, counterintuitiveness when it comes to predestination versus free will. Because it says we're elect, but then it gives us a command, which means free will, no free will. So the predestination says if you're elect, you had no choice, but now it's giving us a command, which means we have a choice. This is like what Omni Magazine called the butter cataray. You know, the buttered cataray, the source of perpetual energy. You always drop a cat, it lands on its feet. If you drop a piece of buttered toast, it always lands buttered side down. So if you take a piece of buttered toast, you put it on a cat's back, strap it, and drop the cat. It'll hit the ground and hover perpetually forever. <laughs> you can arrange arrays of that, produce maglev cars, trains, airplanes. I mean, just perpetual. Those cats get dizzy and the butter eventually dries up. And you have to replace them because they don't last forever. There's no such thing as perpetual energy, but it's the closest thing we can get. <laughs> this verse is like that. Put on free will, you elected. <laughs> You go home with a dizzy cat in your mind. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. That is emotions of mercy. It's a command. We're commanded to put this on. That would kind of seem to say in the word picture that in Christ, in the new birth, there is the ability to put on britches called mercy. Find them. Shake the wrinkles out of them. Hope they still fit. If not, get somebody to take them out the back, get some suspenders, add some elastic, put on the stretchy pants that is mercy, and be good to one another. Put on bowels of kindness. Again, we're having to be told how to be good people. Humbleness of mind, meekness, 
long-suffering. Same formula that we saw in Ephesians chapter 4. And then he adds, verse 13, forbearing one another. That means put up with each other. <laughs> We're commanded to put up with each other. Because the Lord says, I get it. They're, they're kind of tough. I get it. And then the Lord tells them, I get it. They're kind of tough. They're both my kids. I get it. And yet the Lord calls us to a body of believers where we wouldn't choose this group, but the Lord puts us there on purpose, so we have to get along. If you don't obey Jesus, you limit your fellowship group to the folks who are just like you. And if you haven't discovered by now, we don't need any more of you. We need the fullness of the body. And the Lord wants you to get around others so that you can see there's more to life than you and your flavors and your disposition and your perspective and your feelings and your, 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 your. But the only way we're going to be able to tolerate each other as children of God at his family table is to put on these things he's given us. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness. If you're not humble, you're not going to have any friends. If you've always got to be right, that's an arrogant mind. You're not going to have any friends. If you're always controlling folks and really it's, it's exhausting and I wonder, what are you hiding? What are you fearful of? Put up with one another. There's verse 13. Forgiving one another. Forgive. All, always we're shaking this out. No matter how we look at it, we've got to forgive. Even as Christ forgave you. Just like Ephesians 4.32 said, forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. So not just mercy, but also love, which is the bond of perfectness. Now, verse 15 becomes the carrot in front of the dumb donkey. If you know that analogy, donkeys are stupid. They're very stubborn. They're very belligerent. But if you'll put a carrot out in front of them on a fishing pole, you can make that donkey go anywhere you need it to. Verse 15 becomes the carrot in front of these stubborn donkeys called us. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. If you're not walking in forgiveness, you won't enjoy peace in your home. A household full of unforgiveness, a household full of hostility, a household full of indebtedness, like they're into my debt, a household full of angst will not have any peace. And you don't want to bring your kids up in that lack of peace. You don't want to bring your kids up with a chip on their shoulder. You don't want to bring your kids up being the bully on the playground or the, or the kid that at eight years old nobody wants to cross because they're already a little punk. And you can't tell them they're a punk because then you got to face mom. And this is where she got it from was mom. We have to let the peace of God rule and reign in our lives. And this just gave us the formula to do it. If you'll put on mercy and kindness and humility, it's going to cause peace to rule and reign everywhere. Dropping the charges is a choice. Just like putting on mercy is a choice. And when you drop the charges, it ushers in peace. It's so exhausting to just hold your hands in your heart around someone's throat saying, you owe me. I'll never trust you. You owe me. I'll never trust you. You're not good enough to be my friend. You're not good enough to be around my family. That's exhausting. You can't even worship Jesus when in your heart you constantly have your hands on a person or a problem. You got to let go, drop the charges and just say, Lord, help me. Lord, they have ought against me, but you've got ought against me too. I've got ought against them. We've got a bunch of ought going everywhere. Forgive me and may your peace rule in my hearts to the which you are also called in one body. Oh, see, we can't escape it. We're stuck with each other. One body, one body, one body. And uh, once again, I find it insulting. The apostles not telling the church how to love the world. 
He's having to tell the church how to deal with each other. That's an insult. To me, it looks like a step back from the gospels. That's just my observation in this sermon right now. Jesus told them how to put up with the world. Paul's having to say, here's how you put up with each other. What does it say? How immature are we that we have to be exhorted in epistle after epistle, how to love one another? We don't stand a chance when the world comes against us. We can't even sit by each other. We can't even walk past each other in the hallway, picking up our own kids and, and say hi because we're just mad at each other because your kid pushed my kid down. Well, you two kids are going to fight in the hallway back there too? Kids are kids. Grow up, move on. I, I really, we're so petty, church. Well, I don't know what's made us this petty. Is it an American thing? We have a lot of Africans here. Maybe, maybe the Africans could judge us. Let the Africans from the continent of Africa judge the Americans and tell, is it us? Is it us? Or this is a common experience across human existence. I would hope, I hope it's not the whole world. Hopefully this is just a white America thing. It's in Africa too, Cephas? All right. Then let's be better. Let's be better than the human experience. As this world gets more and more hostile against the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I are going to need each other more and more. And if we can't forgive each other because your kid did this to my kid in the bed babies or the nursery, <laughs> or they didn't say hi to me when I walked into the church, that's because they're a hatchet face. We give them a lot of allowance. It's been a bad decade. If we can't get over that, what are we going to do when they start purposely coming against us, targeting us, targeting our children, targeting from the outside? We can't even pray for one another. How are we going to pray for those that truly hate us? We're going to have to do better than this, church. Verse 16 gives us the answer, and this is my last verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do I fix this? Get the word of God in you. Read your Bible. Read these verses. Read the forgiveness scriptures. Read the love of God scriptures and build your faith in you and outgrow the old you. Outgrow the old way. Outgrow the old attitude. Outgrow your last name. Outgrow it. Make your last name worth something better than what mom and dad did with it. Make it a new last name. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. Instead of giving each other a piece of the mind you don't have much left of, get with the Holy Ghost and sing a song of forgiveness. Instead of chewing each other out, it says if you've got enough of God in you, you'll sing a song that'll help everybody. You can teach and admonish. I'm going to teach them a lesson on my guitar with a song from the Lord. Ring. How about you can give me a piece of your mind when you can do it on an instrument with the Holy Spirit giving you an anointed song? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's that grace in the heart that Ephesians 4 talked about. Let it minister grace to the here. Church, we're going to have to get a hold of this forgiveness thing more and more and more and more and more. We drop the charges and now we flex mercy and kindness and let people be mean to you and just love on them anyway. If you have to, just pretend that you're a customer service representative for Jesus Christ. I'm sorry you're having a bad day, sir. Is there anything we can do for you? Will that conclude this transaction? All right, I'm going home now. Lord God Almighty, you don't pay me enough to put up with these people. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
We got to have a lot of compassion. Honestly, sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. We're a very culturally diverse church here. Even our homegrown folks, there aren't many anymore. It's mostly, it's Africans, it's Yankees, it's outsiders, folks moving in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We have to recognize sometimes there's just a loss in translation. There's a loss of communication. We got to be willing to cut folks a lot, a lot more slack. And just say, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding. Could you say that again another way? Sweeter would be preferable. <laughs> I would like you more if you would be sweeter. We got to have more mercy on each other. And also judge yourself. How many friends do you have? This isn't high school. We're not, we're not bending to accommodate sinfulness, but we're extending mercy so that we could put up with more people and want to be around them. How many friends do you have that don't share your DNA or your last name? Because that's a problem in this church. Some of you don't fellowship with anybody outside of your DNA or last name. And hear from me, that is weird. That's weird. You should have friends beyond family. And the only reason you wouldn't is either you're insecure or you think you're better than everybody. And you're not better than anybody. So maybe it's insecurity, but that's why you get around folks so they can love you and encourage you. Why have an awesome church family and just go home to your dumb little house and your dumb little routine and not share it with anybody? Amen. It's good preaching. You're supposed to share life. You get one life and you're going to die with the person you've been stuck with for 70 years. The only people going to be at your funeral are your Facebook friends. All 5,000 of them. 90% of them are bots. I'm sorry to hear you died. Please receive this digital bouquet. Come on. <laughs> 